Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to The Futurist with your hosts, Ben Rohde and Alex Lightman. Each week, we feature a specific aspect of our collective future with action steps you can take to make your own future better and brighter. Our guest experts are top futurists in their field who will remind you that anything is possible. Give us 90 minutes and we'll give you the future. Hello, global futurists. My name is Ben Rohde and my amazing co-host, the incredible genius, technological savant, uh, enlightened spiritual master, and ladies' man, among many other things, Alex Lightman. How's your 27? Happy New Year, Ben Rohde. How are you? I'm good. I think you can tell. It's going to be a good year. That was quite an introduction, one that I so rarely receive, yet so richly deserve. <laughs> I've got more, but I don't want to take a couple of time. I could, uh, um, you know, maybe just spend the the next episode could be the future of Ben's deduction for Alex Lightman, and that could just be the whole show. Uh, no, let's let's get to the to 2017. 2017 will be an amazing year. 2017 will be one of the the best years ever because we're all here. We've all taken body so that we can learn lessons so that we can grow. And this is the year that we look behind the curtain. This is the year that we're like Toto and Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. This is the year that the curtain is pulled back. And people realize uh, with what King Canute said to his son. And King Canute is a funny guy. He founded the city of Lund in Sweden, southern university city. And he also is the founder of the city of Lundun. London, what uh, this uh, this and uh, he said you would be amazed, my son, with how little wisdom the world is run, and he was uh, he's the person who went out into the waves and commanded that the waves stop uh, going because he commanded it as king. So he was a crazy king, but he was a wise king, and I think he actually yeah. did that whole thing about commanding the waves not to um, not to wave. Uh, just so that he could make the point that you can say things to people, but they won't do them anyway. So I think that that one of the big things that's going to happen this year is that people are going to have a ringside seat to Donald Trump's finances. And I think that 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 is going to be quite an education for people. So even today, we have the Wall Street Journal front page article about all the different uh, securitization that went on. So Donald Trump got a bunch of loans, made personal guarantees to a bunch of them, and then those loans were packaged up and syndicated out across hundreds of different lenders. So it's kind of like a a version of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So uh, Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad, Poor Dad talks about the kind of things that a poor dad invests in. They're basically consumption, you know, people spending money, and then the kind of things that, that Rich Dad invests in, things that are tax-free, tax-free municipal bonds, either bonds that either uh, you don't have to pay state or federal uh, taxes on, and so you're, you know, you're keeping more of your money and investments and so on. But did you know that a private individual could have his, uh, his signature syndicated? 
I mean, that's the kind of thing that the average person doesn't know, and they're going to get that education. And so people are going to realize that there are algorithms, there are heuristics, there are rules of thumb for how to become more wealthy over time. I think that's huge. So um, what what do you see for the year ahead? Maybe what we could do in this show is to trade off, like you can have one and, and I'll have one. Um, I also I look forward to asking you, Ben, because I know you care about the world, um, maybe we could start off this way. How do you think that we can make a positive, constructive difference and make the world uh, a better place? Yeah, I love this. And so you know, I think one of the things that you're the best at out of anybody that I know is making predictions, right? One thing that we can trust is that if you make a prediction about something in the future, that that, that is definitely something that we all need to keep an eye open for, right? So I'm so excited to hear about your predictions for 2017, um, including if you have any uh, lotto numbers or, or horses we should bet, be betting on. Um, but but also, but then my piece is giving people the action steps and um, the guidance on how they can create a better life for themselves and through the community, through them, through their life purpose. And, um, you know, a big theme of 2016 was division. It was separation. It was battle. It was I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, my candidate's better than your candidate. Um, you know, it was a lot of look at that jackass. Let's shame this person. I mean, even if there's like, here's the thing, even if um, somebody does something horrible, like every time somebody has some kind of racist rant at a Walmart or a Target, then people post a video on and they say, shame, shame, let's, uh, you know, let's draw attention to this person, let's post their name and their address and shame them, right? Well, it's, it's shame that got us here in the first place, right? It's people feeling they need to be shamed. So, so moving forward into the into, into 2017, we've got to get rid of it. We've got to get rid of the shame. We've got to, we've got to move into a more inclusive society. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to uh, cultivate a expanded sense of reality, um, not just our reality, but other people's reality as well. We've got to cultivate a higher level of understanding of what's going on in other people's lives and understanding that what's going on for them is very real for them. So um, I, have a, I have a few things that I want to talk about uh, as far as predictions for how we can make our world and therefore everyone else's world as well a better place. Um, and um, it's, I think it will be pretty clear that if, if people uh, do these things, then it'll work out, and if people don't do things, these things, then we're going to have another another 2016 on our hands. Um, so anyway, I'd love to I'd love to hear your predictions first um, about, about what you feel is going to happen in 2017, and then I'll talk about I'll talk about what people can do to have the best year of their entire life up to this point. Well, I think that it, that um, I like the 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 model of D step. Demographic changes, you know, changes in birth and death lead to social changes. Social changes lead to technological yeah. changes. Technological changes lead to economic changes. And economic changes lead to political changes. So when we see Ooh, these political good. changes, they're the tail being wagged by the dog of, 
demographics. And I think what we're seeing to some extent is almost a last gasp of the baby boomers uh, pushing their weight around in the United States. So we had two uh, baby boomers that were both um, running for president of the U.S. And I just think that, that it signals the end of the baby boomer generation having complete power and control over American politics. I think that we're going to see a lot more people running for office in the United States. But let's start with demographic changes. The biggest change in the world is what happened in China last year. Last year, China's workforce peaked. So there's this, um, you can often tell if people have inside knowledge. You want to know the simplest way to tell if somebody has inside knowledge? Ask them what they think the population of China is. Now, and let them look it up on Google if they want to. But the the CIA has been saying for years, and China has been saying for years, that the population is 1.35 million. The real population of China is closer to 1.75 million, uh, sorry, billion, not million, billion people. A billion, of course, is a thousand million. So we're talking about undercounting the reported population of China um, or undercounting the true population of China and reporting a false number by 400 million. That is not an accident on either the, the U.S. side or the Chinese side. And what's happening now is that because of the one-child-per-family policy, which would have created uh, a population right now of about 2.3 to 2.5 billion, instead there's about, um, you know, as I said, 1.8 billion. But China's workforce peaked. So every year from this point on, China will be losing 3 million people from its pool of possible workers. That's the size of Singapore's workforce. So imagine the city of Singapore. You know, all those buildings, all that ec- uh, economy, boom, it's gone. It's almost as if China is going to be exposed to um, a hydrogen bomb blowing up a city every year and taking out that much of the population. Now, China's leadership, it's still run by the Communist Party, still has this ambition to be the most powerful nation in the world. But it's very, very hard to be stronger as a nation unless you have economic growth. And it's extremely hard to have economic growth if you have a a really corrupt system with a shrinking population that also at the same time is a poor country that's aging rapidly and doesn't have a good system for Social Security, medicine, all that. So I think that this is the year that we start to see all kinds of government crackdowns and and implosions just to create the false impression that China's growth is positive and still going. Um, Of course, they're going to use lots of robots and they're going to have a lot of productivity enhancement, uh, but that's not going to be enough to make a world-class economy that can beat the United States because the United States is going to have automation wherever people want it, not just where the Communist Party wants it or where Foxconn and a few large employers want it. So uh, I can also see that this that the pollution is going to reach a point where people start wrecking things and sabotaging things because people are going to realize that the government mm. isn't going to look out for them, isn't going to take wow. care of them. and. The big thing about China, China is going to become seen as a laboratory for the rest of the world, and we're going to have a big referendum 
Donald Trump has created, without knowing it, he's created a referendum on the fossil fuel economy by appointing so many people with such obvious and blatant ties to the fossil fuel industry to high positions. So Rex, as uh, from ExxonMobil, um, as Secretary of State, uh, he's not confirmed yet, but he was just offered a $180 million retirement package. Now, that's significant. You know what's really significant about that? Do you know um, what what taxes you pay for selling your assets to remove conflict of interest um, when you get a political appointment, Ben? Do you know what no, your tax rate is? Your tax rate yeah. is zero. So Rex can get $180 million from Exxon in stock or, what, or whatever they want, and then he can say, well, I can't have conflicts of interest, so I have to sell it, and he pays zero tax on it just for being a nominee. So – there are a lot of people who are – there are five billionaires who are, uh, who are appointed to the Trump cabinet, and they um, – you know, and there are lots of millionaires and centimillionaires who are getting a political appointments, and anybody who's going to be subject to confirmation hearings is supposed to sell assets, but they can liquidate, and they don't have to pay any taxes. And people are going to go that, – that didn't really matter when people weren't super rich – but now that they're super rich, they're going to be saving collectively billions of dollars in taxes. And we remember from the debates that Donald Trump said, well, that's because I'm smart. But people are going to question. They're going to go, wait a minute. Why, why do I need to, to do that? Why do I need to um, go and give all these tax breaks to people who are already rich? So I think that it, this is another part of that um, X-ray vision about what, uh, how people get wealthy and how they stay wealthy, is people are going to have a, a big debate about what's, uh, what's fair in terms of who should pay what in taxes. And this whole idea, uh, whole idea that billionaires don't need to pay taxes in certain circumstances is going to be objected to by more and more people, including people who are Republicans, because they're going to realize that, hey, wait a minute, it, it creates a sense of unfairness. And this is another thing about this year. This is the year that we have a really, really serious conversation about equality because, you, because more and more of the world, people uh, – it used to be, well, equality is about you know, the rich and the poor and so on. But, and as long as you um, – the four things. If you did the f big four, if you got married, if you finished high school, if you, uh, if you got a job and you kept it, even if you didn't like it, and you put aside some money for savings. If you did those four things, then you had a very, very small chance of experiencing poverty. So that's going to be something that people it – don't, it doesn't matter anymore because people will realize that with robotics and automation and artificial intelligence that their job is at risk. So right yeah. now, 70% of all the jobs – in the United States are at risk of being replaced by robots and automation. And right now, as we're speaking, the future of this automation is on display at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. And this show, for the first time, has a really big section on artificial intelligence. And of course, there's always been robots there in the stands, but people will realize now that those robots are going to be taking their jobs. So this is the year that people realize because it's every day in the paper that um, Ford is not going to be building a plant in Mexico and 
Donald Trump is right. angry at Toyota because they're going to build a plant in Mexico. And so you can keep all the plants from being built in Mexico. You can save these jobs from Carrier. But what you can't save is all the jobs that will be lost to automation. So I'll give you one example. There's a magazine for truckers. It's called Overdrive. And the cover story for Overdrive yesterday was if Trump really wants to save jobs, then he will slow the role of the Department of Transportation supporting self-driving trucks because the number one job in the, major- in, in the majority of states is to be a driver, to be a driver of trucks, driver of cars, etc. And so yeah. the number one place where people have jobs right now, forget about creating net new jobs, is driving. And if we have federal funding and support and rules and regulations to replace drivers with self-driving vehicles, um, those jobs are going to be lost. And so people are saying, well, okay, uh, and here's where, here's where we have another, another thing. We are going to realize how different the worlds that we live in in terms of our predictions of the future. So just like this show is talking about you know, perceptions of the future, that's going to be happening more and more. And one of the biggest differences I know is between people in Silicon Valley and also people, you know, I consider people in, in Silicon Beach in L.A. to be part of that kind of extended community because we have similar values and, and thoughts and assumptions, but, um, and the truck drivers. So guess how long people in Silicon Valley think before we start losing truck jobs to self-driving trucks, Ben? Well, how long do you think that uh, people in Silicon less, Valley think I, I that will take? I would say less than a year. Yeah, they think it will start to happen in two to three years. But in a year is also is also correct for some people. Guess how long the truck drivers think it will be before their jobs start being taken by automation? Five years. They think 40 years. So people in Silicon oh, Valley wow. think two to three years. Truck drivers think 40 years. Now, oh, can man. they both be right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, how can they both be right? They can't both be right. It's either going to start, yeah, sure, you know, right. what if, sooner uh, or later. A couple of them can, I mean, them can lose their uh, job in a few months when the when the truck can be out, and then the rest lose them in 40 years. It's like the taxis. It, Uber, Uber and Lyft have taken a bunch of the jobs, but they're still taxis for right now. Um, okay, but they're, I mean, net jobs and net money, you know, it's still like the, the marketplace has expanded. Um, I think that when right. truckers find out that their jobs are going to be taken sooner rather than later, starting even this year, they're going to show how powerful they are. Because the uh, I would say probably the most patriotic people in America are uh, soldiers, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, and veterans. Truck, but right after uh, them, and not very far behind, are truckers. I mean, these are the people wow. who are who are the salt of the earth kind of people. They yeah, work very hard, thing, long like, hours. If the if the trucks all of a sudden stopped delivering the food to the grocery stores. They stopped delivering the goods to to the stores. Everything was shut down. Like if truckers want to strike, like what, one of the things that's, that, that that would happen, you know, there's an apocalypse and and or we lost. I, I, I shouldn't oil. have muted it because there's a truck blowing its horn, its air horn, right outside my window just now. <laughs> Hilarious. It's almost as if to 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 show solidarity with the other truckers. 
<laughs> I know it's funny. Every every time, uh, every time one of us, is, or every time me or a guest is talking, and I can hear you, uh, cars going by in the background and trucks blowing the horn, and texting you to mute it. But it seems like perfect, uh, perfect in, into what we're talking about. I mean, we rely on truckers, so it it seems like the thing where they're going to have to be replaced, you know, all at once. Um, because I feel like as if they go on strike, um, we're, we're that what you're going to say. You're ben, not I can, I, I'm sorry, but I can barely understand you. Um, uh, to our listeners, uh, Ben lives in Costa Rica, where they have the, they have the greatest biodiversity per capita, but not the greatest <laughs> bandwidth or connectivity. It's a trade-off. All right, I'll, living, I'll living things versus electronic things. I'll call back. Take it away, brother. Okay, so uh, within this whole thing of, of trucking, we have, we're going to be having debates about whether or not the federal government should be supporting things that, um, that are helpful to corporate profits but are not necessarily helpful to people having jobs. And this will also um, relate to uh, a variety of other things. One of them is Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is very likely to have a good year. Um, Bitcoin started the year above uh, $1,000 per Bitcoin. And it's been there before for a total of, I think, since 2008 or so. It's been above $1,000 for a total of nine days. So it's already started this year above that. It just fell. And the reason it fell is to me, extremely interesting. It fell because China uh, is cracking down on people who are making bets, basically puts, against the yuan, against the currency. So China is going to put a lot of its effort trying to keep its currency from falling against the dollar because a lot of people want to get their money out of China. And China's economy isn't really built to have a lot of people take their money out of China. Um, this has been wow. sort of a, a terror that's been implanted in the economy since George Soros went and crushed the economies of Malaysia and Thailand by wiring in large sums of money uh, and then buying the currency and then wiring the money out after having basically uh, bought puts, the equivalent of puts against the currency. So China is very worried about currency speculators. Currency speculators, though, allow for there to be a lot of liquidity because they take contrary bets. If you had everybody buying at the same time and everybody selling at the same time, it wouldn't be very good. There'd be a lot of volatility. What you want is a, is in any market is something where people have different times when they want to buy and sell so that buyers and sellers are roughly even most of the time to have stability. It's when you have buyers and sellers out of whack or you know, w- wanting to have many more buyers and sellers that you have big price fluctuations. And if you have big price fluctuations, people won't want to use your currency as the basis for doing deals, doing trades. So right. more and more cryptocurrencies will be seen as acceptable and will be seen as a way to bet against governments. And I think as as the more that governments are demystified, the more that we see how they run, it's there's a, there's a saying, I think it's from Bismarck, that uh, there are two things that you should never see being made, sausages and laws, because the gen- right. there's no clean, nice uh, process. It's just a lot of, of ugly people making ugly deals that 
that then produce a law that then we're sort of stuck with. And the U.S. process has been called by a, a, a genius, uh, Kenichi Omai, who's a nuclear engineer who ran McKinsey Company in Japan for years and wrote a number of books. In the mind of the strategist, he talked about the U.S. Uh, model of making laws as the garbage can model of politics in that you have something <laughs> like 22,000 laws proposed, but you have maybe 100 of them that actually become law. So uh, what we have you know what we have now is uh, basically a system whereby we can uh we're we're going to have uh, the new Trump administration saying for every one law that we pass we need to take two of them away for every one rule or regulation we have to take two away. So what that's going to do is cause people to debate what laws we should take away. And I think that a year in which we re- take away more laws than we than we bring into uh, into use uh, will be actually a very useful thing because a lot of people then start like zero based budgeting for laws. I've never heard someone ask this, but how about start with the Constitution and then say, well, what laws do we actually need? Do we really need tens of thousands of laws? And all these people, this giant infrastructure employing so many people at high salaries um, to enforce them all. You know, the five richest counties in the United States are the counties around Washington, D.C. Why is it that the people who are doing nothing productive and enforcing the laws should be the ones who have all the security and all the stability? Um, I think a lot of people are going to ask that because government is going to be seen as the rich man's business, um, in part because of Donald Trump and his appointees. And I'm not saying that that's good or bad. Um, I'm, I, I am saying, though, that it's not going to be seen as public service. It's going to be seen as a form of public extraction. And that will make all the difference in the benefit of the doubt. So um, you're back. Are, how are you cool. doing? I'm doing great. How great. do I sound? Oh, you sound much better. Thank you. I wish I'd said something earlier. That's what I like to hear. Cool, cool. Um, so I have, a, I have a question for you. You know, one of, the, one of the things that keeps coming into my brain that I haven't really heard people making the connection to, and I've, I've mentioned it a couple times on the show, is with, you know, we've talk, we talk about AI taking jobs a lot on this show, and I've, I'm seeing a lot of articles on it. And we also, I've, I've been hearing a lot about um, a basic guaranteed income, right? So Finland just created a program where 2,000 citizens are being guaranteed an income of almost $600 a month, right? They're doing it kind of as a, as a study, as a test. And, and I think, I'm pretty sure, I read about this several years ago. I don't know how it's been going, but I, I'm pretty sure they've done this before in another place. And, and so I'm, I'm making a correlation between the two that if, you know, if we've got AI doing the jobs, we're going to need a, a basic income so people can learn how to find their life purpose, so people can, can learn to um, develop a skill for themselves or to invent something new that's never been done before, right, which I believe that every individual that is, is – I believe that every individual has that inside of them somewhere, whether they know it or not. So what kind of, are you, are you, what kind of prediction uh, do you want to make on 
um, that correlation. Uh, do you think that? Do you, I, do you think, I think there'll be a lot of guaranteed income a is lot a good more, idea, bad idea? Well, I think that there that it jumps ahead. It's almost like saying, well, do I think that sex is good or bad? And it's like, well, it depends. Is there consent or is it rape? Um, and I think that the same thing is the, the same kind of thing about basic minimum income. So the idea that you just give it to everybody, I don't think people have done the math. I've actually done the math and tried to find some way that, that what people say is basic minimum income is going to be afforded. So for basic minimum income to happen, you have to have taxes or you have to take on debt or you have to reduce spending somewhere else. That's just the basic math of the situation. So so what do you cut? Well, I have never well, what, seen what the if, U.S. So what government. I, what about another option would be to all the jobs that are using AI to and, and robots to create um, – to create, to take the places of those jobs, what if instead of going to pay the employees, obviously, you know, they're going to have to pay to maintain the robots and all that stuff, but what if, what if those companies are paying into a tax that, that goes to support the community? Well, there, the idea that you have, you already have different taxes on things, but um, I can tell you having been, as far as I know, the first person to sell a million dollars worth of AI software, and I did that in 1985, so just mm -hmm. over 30 years ago. Um, I can tell you that AI is in everything, that you cannot differentiate between those things that are using AI, because the definition of AI is a moving target. So what we called AI back in the mid-80s now is just software. Oh, yeah, well, that's just software. And so the, the, what, we, what we call AI keeps taking jobs, but it keeps on being, oh, yeah, well, that's just programming. That's just software. So um, what people will just say, oh, no, that's not if – you, if you put a tax on it, people are going to go, oh, no, no, that's not AI. That's nothing new. People have been doing that for, for generations you know, for, for mm. many years, and sooner or later they'll have it. It's, it's not that AI isn't here. It's just it's not so widely implemented. It's like William Gibson's famous quote, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And so um, and having AI and having automation, uh, this, is, this is where you have the law of unintended consequences. Um, I find it very amusing that that when people say you know good news Ford isn't going to build a factory in Mexico it's going to you know keep jobs here in the U.S. No, what it's going to do is it's going to have a meeting and it's going to say okay uh, how do we get rid of jobs in the U.S. How do we automate? Right. Because how can you be a, how can you be an American and be against automation? I mean there comes a point at which then <laughs> the government just needs to take over and just nationalize Ford Motor Company, you know, in order to have Ford keep making jobs. So, uh, I mean, keep, keep jobs in the United States. And that's, you know, we don't want to do that. If, we're gonna, if, we're get, we've, if we want to nationalize anything, we should nationalize the oil companies and then wind them down. That's how we get to renewable energy. Um, but as far as basic minimum income com, uh, goes, I have yet to see – good financial projections for it, honest financial projections. And I have yet to see anybody but me talking about what I think is the most important thing to talk about, which is where 
do you have the ability to have zero marginal cost by government investment? So the government primes the pump, makes a, makes a, puts in a flat fee, like $100 million, and then all the courses go online so that you can get any course you want for free. And you have the ability to test and uh, get a degree so that you don't have to pay for college. To me, that's the kind of thing that we, we need to do. And how about going in and putting solar panels on top of government roof of any building and then giving that electricity for free? In other words, there are certain things that we can do where you pay money up front and then you have no marginal cost, no ongoing cost, or it's absolutely minimal. In my mind, that there's just like there's a difference between you know consensual sex and, and rape. It's like, do you like sex? Do I like basic minimum income? I like the idea of taking everything that a government investment can go and drive the cost down to nearly zero or approaching zero and doing that and making those things available for free. So what does that category right. include? It includes clean energy from solar. It includes manufactured housing. It includes uh, public gardens, where as a this consequence so of you getting land to build, to, to grow food, um, you share that food with the people who, you know, the homeless, perhaps. If, if somebody wants to come up and have some of your food, you tithe some percentage of it to the local community. You actually, you know, can have cameras, you can have sensors, you can have the Internet of Things, and you, you give that away. And so you set things up so that you don't create more government, but you do provide food, clothing, shelter, energy to people who, who need it and want it. And to me, that's a lot better than, this, than the scam of just simply raising taxes on a lot of people or on a, on a group that's yeah. not politically powerful to go and give people who don't need the money the money. Um, I mean, we're already kind of there now. Like in the United States, we have uh, something like 330 million people, and yet there are only about 50 million people who are net taxpayers. And I have a concern, and I have uh, this is one of those things that I'm the only person I know who's concerned about it. I have a concern that the number of addicts and alcoholics will outnumber the number of net taxpayers. Right now, we have 40.2 million addicts and alcoholics in the U.S. That's 16% of everybody over the age of, uh, of, of 12. And that's, that's too many. And, you know, if we have 40 million addicts and 50 million net taxpayers, well, that's one country. But what if we have 20 million net taxpayers and we have 60 million addicts and alcoholics? I don't see how the country keeps its coherence, you know, and I, I'm very concerned that basic minimum income will lead to a lot of people being adrift, losing their sense of purpose. With your 5D business school, I'd love to hear how that works in helping people find their purpose. My experience with running a boarding school and doing various things in life, I've, I've created over 500 jobs, is that when you give a person a job, you sometimes give them – a, a reason for living. You give them, yeah. you give them yeah. a, a raison d'être, a reason for existing, existence. Yeah. And that if they lose their job, sometimes people lose their sense of self. And it's extremely common for people to, uh, in towns where they've lost a lot of jobs, 
for those people to have big big increases in um, alcoholism and in drug addiction. And so I'm extremely concerned that we just say, oh, well, it's okay for people to lose jobs. They'll find a new purpose um, because we haven't figured out how to do that in many, many towns in the Rust Belt. And that's why so many people in those places voted for Donald Trump, because they don't believe anything any politician tells them. Right. Yep, totally. So yeah. So I mean, how do people find their, their purpose amidst all of this different change and drama? How, how do you help people find their purpose at, you know, uh, at 5D Business School? So my, my reason for existence, as I see it right now, is, and this is based on every program that I've ever created in the last five years, it always comes back to one thing, life partners on life purpose, right? Life partners on life purpose. And I believe that, I believe that if somebody is in a partnership, a loving partnership with the right person, and they're on life purpose with this person, this can lead to higher states of consciousness, deeper states of understanding, and it leads to the answers, the answer of the questions, who am I and why am I here, right? And so when somebody has a life partner, they're on life purpose, they have the deeper and the higher level understandings, and they know the answers to the question, who am I and why am I here, I believe that anything is possible, right? I believe that from here we get outside of what we have thought was possible. And from here we get to create what is possible and we get to create something entirely new, right? So I love your idea of the $100 million spent on free education programs, right? And this needs to be like step one, right? I mean, this is the thing. Like when, you know, do you, do you have the stats on how many times somebody changes their college major, it's like four or five times, right? Um, um, like, yeah, it's not, that's, not, that's not a bad suggestion. Um, universities don't like to say this, uh, but, yeah, I, I don't think that that's yeah, uh, so, that, that's so. And this is the thing. Far the, reason they change, the reason they change their major so many times is because they don't know who they are, right? We're, we're putting someone into a, a, an education system, and we're saying – you need to choose who you are at like, what, 18 years old or 16 years old or whatever the, the age somebody usually goes into college. But they don't even know themselves yet. They don't know who they are, and who they are is going to change, right? So by the time, I mean, it's just like if somebody goes into, into school for like computer programming or technology, it's like by the time they've gone their four years, the technology's already changed, right? And like the, the, the human technology has changed as well. Who you are has changed as well. So the first step that anybody needs to do is find out who am I, why am I here, at least for now, right? And that, that changes often. It's like once you've completed that mission, now you get so, – so now it's like I always call it like your, your top security clearance, right? Like so whatever level of consciousness or awareness or life experience you're at, you have a certain level of top security clearance and you can't see beyond that. Now, once, now your, your unconscious mind, your higher self gives you, you know, your impulses give you certain missions. Do this, right? Go do that. And you're like, well, I can't, right? But once you start doing the things that your, 
to your uh, unconscious mind is telling you to do, what your impulses are telling you to do, when they're coming from a from a from the right place, right? This is another thing is people don't know which impulses to listen to, right? And so then at that point, once they accomplish that mission, now their their level of top security clearance gets higher, and now they can see the, the bigger picture, right? And now they think that's the biggest picture, right? And so, so we're at a place right now where everyone thinks that they're at the highest level of top security clearance. Everyone thinks that they know everything. So I think the first thing that people need to do is figure out the answer to the question, who am I and why am I here, right? Um, and this is, you know, part of the, the six things that, I, that, I, that I'm, I'm going to say that people should be doing this year is, you know, let me just, let me go through, through, through these things because these are, these are the things that are going to, um, to, to answer your question about these people that, that voted for, for Trump because they don't trust politicians and they're, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen interviews with these people and their lives are like, like I want them to have a better life. And well, please so don't, please don't do. refer to them as these people because they're us. You know, he's, they, there's so many people in so many places that they're not, they're not a small group of people. And they're not, right. and they're not yeah. wrong to not trust politicians. I mean, just look at the fact that Congress, uh, you know, the approval rating of Congress is nine percent, and it's been that way for a long time, and it's lower than used car dealers. So you can't really fault people for not trusting the promises of government. Not fault anybody at all. I'd so. love to hear your, I'd love so. to hear your six things. I just don't want to leave people with the impression that there's a judgment about people. You know, because they don't believe the government. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't, you know, you and I both post things that point out when the government lies. Yeah, I, I hope I hope nobody took that understanding from what I said. Um, okay, so so the first thing that and I'm gonna I'm gonna post an article at some point. Uh, it's probably gonna be a two or three point article because it's a it's pretty long. I wrote about 11 pages on it, but the steps as I see them. So the first step I already talked about is realizing that other people's path is not the same as your path, right? So I see people online acting like they know what reality is because they have their certain top security clearance. Um, they're a leader, and they think that everyone should be a leader. Or they're a Republican, so they think that everyone should be a Republican. Or they're a Democrat, so they think everyone should be a Democrat, right? Uh, I think we need to understand that everybody is here for a different thing, and everyone here is here to learn a different lesson, Right, and so we need to support people on their lessons uh, within boundaries. Right, so number two is to dream a bigger dream. Right, we've been trained to not dream. We've been trained to the, 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 to to stay in reality. Right, let's just not reality. Right, and so we need to learn to dream again. We need to, you know, we were all so good at dreaming when we were children. And Alex, one thing that I admire so much about you is your creativity. Right? It's the, the creativity. It's the dream. And you know, one thing I've said to you before is I, I admire how much um, energy and thought you put into the future and you put into uh, you know, our situation at any given time. And any of your posts on Facebook or Quora or wherever you post them, like you spend a lot of time um, considering our options right? and dreaming. And so most people are so preoccupied by their life situation or their fear or their job or their emails or, or, look, or reading other people's dreams um, that they're, they're not creating their own, right? So 
Uh, that's number two is dream a bigger dream. Three is to be committed to creating that dream, right? So, you know, you can have a dream and then say, well, it's just a dream or someday, right? Someday never comes. Someday is not a day of the week, right? When I, when I, uh, right before I started this business, I had almost quit my, my, my job and I was having dinner with a friend who trains um, NL, uh, he's an NLP trainer that trains CEOs of, of major corporations. And so I was sitting down at dinner with him and he said, well, what's your plan? I said, well, someday I want to start doing events and talk to people about what we do and explain to them this, this transformational modality that we've developed. And he said, okay, well, someday is not a day of the week. So let's put it in your calendar. Someday is now. And like the fear of God came through me and I got like these cold, these cold sweats, right? And it, it became real. And so we put it in the calendar and we did our first event, right? And so there needs to be a commitment to just taking action on something, anything. Um, so that's three. Um, and then, you know, of course, all the excuses came up and we were living in a little moldy cottage in the ghetto.